This podcast is a production of Faith Living Church. If you like what you hear, join us for church sometime in our Plantsville, Connecticut location, Saturdays, 6 p.m., or Sundays, 9 and 11 a.m., or online anytime at faithlivingchurch.com. So if you don't know, uh, I'm Pastor Joe, and uh, I'm the assistant pa- one of the assistant pastors here, but I also run the youth ministry and the young adults, and Caleb, along with a whole bunch of other people, uh, help out in the youth ministry. So Caleb's got, uh, if you were here for the, uh, for the, uh, the, the church picnic that we did, right, you saw Caleb was uh, one of the people that was licensed as a minister. And uh, so he's got a real heart for doing this, and so this, we're going to talk today about the idea of truth. And um, uh, so... so First of all, on the idea of truth, let's just think about this. This is what I wrote down. Um, we've got a lot to talk about. This is what I wrote down to begin with, though, is that truth is indispensable for living the message of Christ. Truth is indispensable for living the message of Christ. And it is the personal responsibility of a Christian, of every Christian, it is the personal responsibility of every Christian to align myself and to align my life with what is true. I'll go further than that, talking about being uh, in the youth ministry. It is, it is my job as a parent. It is my responsibility as a parent. And by the way, I feel like I'm echoing um, a little bit. I don't want to change anything, but I'll leave it to the Not bad, but you can hear it. I sound a little boxy. Um, but I'll leave it to the, to the sound guys to figure that part out. Maybe it's the matrix. You can even you can turn one of us off, and I'll just yell. It doesn't matter. Um, so, uh, so, so on the idea, on the idea, better, that feels better. Yeah. Feels better, yeah. Okay, that's great. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Um, uh, so on the, idea of, on the idea of truth, the truth is indispensable to living the Christian message. And then me as a parent, not just me personally, but then me as a parent, I am responsible, I'm responsible for my children growing up in the faith and being able to know what they believe, why they believe it, and being able to defend that, their position. It is my responsibility as a parent. We had a parent come to us last night, and he said, you know, I I recognize, he said, oftentimes we think, I bring my kids to the youth ministry. Youth ministry is great, but we've only got your kids a couple hours a week. He goes, it's my job as a dad. My job as a dad. It's not the church's job. It's my job as a Christian father to equip my kids to stand in a culture that is actually diametrically opposed to the idea of truth. It's my job to do that. And here's the reason why this is important. Let me make sure we set the stage for ourselves. The reason why this is important is statistics say that in the United States today um, that they've, they've taken surveys of kids who have grown up in churches, not, not like just any church, but like born-again Christian, evangelical, whatever, doctrinally sound churches. When they go to college, over 80% of them will leave the faith permanently within the first two years. Two years. In the first two years, leave their faith permanently. Why is that? There's a, this is, this is a, a story that is as old as creation, and so we're going to talk about this, but that's not acceptable. Well, and part of the reason is, like you're saying, yeah, it's your job, my job with my children to raise them to grow in the maturity in their relationship with Christ, but it's, they have to make it their own. It's not enough that they are Christians because you and your wife are Christians, or my, you know, me and my wife are Christians. No, eventually we, they leave our house. The faith has to be their own. I think the big reason 80% of them fall away is because they haven't made it their own. It's, gone, it's, what, it's in their head, but right. it hasn't gone from the head to the heart. Right, right. It takes a few questions from a, from a college professor in a philosophy class to blow, up their, to blow up their idea of faith and get them confused, and then Satan comes in. I can tell you exactly what those are. We can talk about it another time. We've got a lot to cover today. First things first, though, let's, we're talking about the idea of truth. That's one of those words like true, truth, whatever. We all know what that means, right? <laughs> so somebody give me a good working definition for truth. God's word. God's word is true. Tell me what truth is then. Anybody? God. God is truth. Okay. That's true. What is truth? Honesty. Okay. What do you say? Honesty. Honesty. Truth is honesty. That is a really good, a really good way of putting it. Because when because because there are a lot of times when we're faced with something that is real and we don't like it. So we lie. We lie to other people. Most of the time we lie to ourselves, right? I'm okay. It's okay. We was telling Kayla this last night. Like, like I've had a really 
tough, long, like last six weeks traveling, a lot of stuff going on, a lot of stuff going on with, uh, with work and, and everything like that. It's craziness, crazy, 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 crazy. And so last night I ate an entire small pizza. <laughs> right? Val, Val, you're you're getting, getting a yeah. She gets the Italiano from Hubbard Park. It's amazing, right? And, uh, and, and she, goes, she, goes, she goes in, she goes and opens the box and goes, what? I'm like, yeah, I did that. <laughs> now, I know that's not good for me. I know that I haven't been in the gym in a, couple, in a few weeks. I know that it's all going to hurt. I know that it's bad. But I just said, it's okay. It's not okay. But at the time, it really tasted good. But at the time, it was a guy. I know Dan's sitting back there going, what? and the problem is, okay, right, but, but for me, it's a problem, right? I, I need to watch what I do because otherwise it'd be, you know, I'll, be, I'll be overweight and I'll be all kinds of unhealthy and, and stuff like that. But we lie to ourselves, right? And we say it's okay when it's not okay and we're not honest with ourselves. Let me give you a good working definition for the idea of truth. Ready? Truth is when the concept of what we have or the idea of what we have aligns with reality, when, 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 when what I'm thinking or what I'm doing aligns with what is real, then that's truth. To the extent that it doesn't align with what's real, I'm either wrong or I'm deluding myself. If I say two plus two, one plus one is two, that's true because we can look at it and go, here's one, here's one, put it together, how many are there? Two. If I say this equals three, we all say you're wrong. And I can say, well, I don't feel, I feel like it's three. You can go, facts don't care about your feelings, right? And this, this is just, this is two here. And yet you might feel badly about the math, but you're still just bad at math, right? Okay, does that make sense? And we do that all the time in math and science and stuff, but we don't have, we have a hard time understanding that when it comes to things like, like what is God and what is right and morality and things like that. But there's actually truth that exists in there. So, so truth is those things that align with reality. This is going to be a really important concept to take as, as we kind of get into this because truth is reality. And truth is when my ideas or my behavior or my concept of, of what I'm doing aligns with reality. So truth and reality are, 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 are inexorably mixed. So we're going to cover four things today. And, and, and that, those four things, so you know where we're at. We're going to cover four things. Four so let's points. tell them what we're, what we're yeah. talking about, Kim. Well, and the, and the importance of these three points is, you know, you notice we still have Pastor Ron's The Path up here. The importance of these four things is understanding the importance of how we stay on this path. It's like Pastor Joe just said, yes, there's scientific truth. We often think that's different than the moral truth. Well, moral truth is much more critical to our ability to stay on the path than you know, the existence of gravity and me knowing the existence of gravity and how fast an object's going to accelerate when I drop it, right? Um, so the first area, the first point we're going to look at is that truth exists and it is knowable. And that those, those two things are really critical. I mean, Plenty of people will be like, yeah, I think truth exists, but you can't know it. Other people will say the truth, truth is, I define what is true. That's a, that's a postmodern concept, that I define my own reality. Uh, no, you don't. <laughs> that's, that's... Other people will say, will say that truth is not absolute. You're like, right. wait, is, is that true? Self-defeating. Yeah. You, did you hear? Question. That's a really good point. We didn't think about this. Did you hear what he just said? When someone says the truth that there's no such thing as absolute truth, your question should be: Are you sure about that? Because <laughs> they just made an absolute. Claim. You're saying the only thing that you can absolutely be certain about is that you can't be certain about anything. I don't know what you're smoking, but I should probably stop. <laughs> and and a critical corollary to truth exists and is knowable is the fact that certainty is a possibility. Really? We can, in fact, be certain about things. Point number one, truth exists and is knowable. Two, God is truth and the pursuit of him must be a pursuit of truth with humility. Plenty of people have pursued truth without humility. Frequently, we uh, you you mention... You get you get power trips, you get yep. all these other things. You don't get hum- if you don't pursue truth with humility... You um, get head knowledge. Right. Just... You can rattle off a bunch of figures, facts and figures, but when you, you run up against the, the wall, we gave the example of Francis Crick, yep. who discovered DNA, and he took that, and he, he ran the calculations on the likelihood that DNA could pop into existence 
purely on its own. The, the, the odds are so astronomical. Yeah, astronomical, one times 10 to the 400,000th power, but yeah. Which is one followed by 400,000 zeros. Mathematically impossible. And what did he conclude from that? He concluded that he concluded that we come from space aliens. So, the dude that discovered DNA, <laughs> who got a Nobel Peace Prize, didn't like where that led because that leads to God. But he didn't like that, so he decided to take the blue pill and live in a delusion. And all he did was actually just philosophically kick the can down the road. I'm like, well, how'd they get, how'd they get here? Right? Don't talk to me about that. I don't want to believe in God. Right? So that's, we can do that all the time. Very, very intelligent people do that all the time, live in delusion because right. they don't like the truth. But we need to live in reality and in truth. So that's, and that's because he was unwilling to, yeah. sub, like, to humble himself to the truth that he came face to face with. So point two, God is truth and the pursuit of him must be a pursuit of truth with humility. Point three is that truth and aligning ourselves with it or choosing to turn our back from truth, it has consequences. Regardless of what we do, there are consequences that come from how we perceive truth. And point number four is an integrated worldview is the definition of spiritual maturity. That looks like, you know, am I who, you know, here today on this stage with Pastor Joe, is that who I will be tomorrow in the workplace? Is that who I'm going to be at home with my spouse, with my wife, with my kids? Is that, you know, the, the place when I choose to go and buy a house, is that going to be shaped by my own personal selfish desires or is that going to be shaped by the plan and the purpose God has in store for me and my family? Who I am in traffic tomorrow morning. <laughs> it always gets a lot of nervous laughter, right? <laughs> I guess need to work on that. Yeah. Okay. So we need to work on some of these things, and we'll talk about that. And and this is this is this is not this is to help us understand the concept of truth and what we're going to do. We're going to talk about those four things that it exists, that God is truth, and, and our pursuit of Him, the truth and consequences. And we have to have this integrated worldview. And so the good thing is is that as as Christian spiritual maturity should be this: is that as I move my life in pursuit of truth, when I run into something where my concept is not aligning with what is real, then I, and as I turn that and become more like God, then I grow and become more Christ-like. Makes sense, right? That's what we're going to do. Okay, so let's talk about some, some foundational things. Uh, he had mentioned the path before, so let's think about this. It says here that all Scripture, because God's Word is truth. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all Scripture is given by in the inspiration of God and is profitable for these four things, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. Those four things. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. So if you think about what Pastor Ron's been talking about, the path, or what Christianity originally uh, was called the way, right? Are you, are you part of the way? What they mean is the path of God, right? And so you can think about the idea of truth or living truth as, as, as walking with Jesus and, and being on this path with God. That is the definition of doctrine. Now, I know that some people say this finer points to it, whatever, okay, fine. But the general idea of doctrine is that doctrine is a road or a path that we walk on and live on. So if you think about that, that would be like Caleb here as a Christian, and he's walking along the path. Now, there are two things that Caleb can do as he walks along the path of life with God. He can either stay on the path, or he can get off the path. Now, let's say he's walking along the path of life, and he gets off the path. First of all, why would Caleb get off the path? He would get off the path because he's deluded. Somebody has lied to him to say that there is a better way than the way he's on. Right? Someone has lied to him. Somehow he's bought a lie, bought into it, that there is a different way that is better than the way of God. There's a different way. So the second thing about the Word of God, the second use of the Word of God, is for reproof. Now, a lot of times we think that reproof is like, smack him upside the head. And in youth ministry... Uh, no, we've never smacked your kids. I <laughs> no, haven't done that. But, um, but, but we need to be confronted lovingly with the truth. Hey, Caleb, I don't know how you got here, but that you're not on the path any longer. Right? That's the first thing that happens, right? But then it's not just enough to win an argument or, or list all these doctrines and things that he's doing wrong. That's not the purpose of Christianity. It's actually, what's the next part? Right, correction. Hey, let me help you get back on the path. It means that I have to get down in the, in the muck with him. I have to get him back on the path and then instruct him in righteousness, which is this is how you stay on the road going forward. 
and let's walk together in this. This is what the purpose of Scripture is, and as mature Christians, this is what we're supposed to be doing. Does this make sense? Yeah. Cool? All right, great. So the idea of truth, truth has a purpose, and it's to create a way for us, and it's to let us know that when we're off that way, that something's wrong, and how to get back, and how to stay on it. The idea that we are now facing in, in the United States, that we are either in or near a post-truth culture, is not new. The idea of people getting, getting things wrong is not new. It's as old as creation. And so we want to talk about the, this in, in terms of the very first time that we got it wrong, and that's the Garden of Eden. So set the story up in Genesis 3. God says, hey, listen, there's this whole garden here. There's two trees in the garden. There's the tree of life, and there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You can, guys can eat from anything in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what do you say? If you eat from that tree and the day you eat of it, what will happen? You will die. That's what he said. He said. That's what he said. That's what God said. He said, the day you eat of it, you'll die, right? So now Satan's there, and Satan comes as, as, as Lucifer. Satan comes as a, uh, uh, as a serpent, right? And he's talking with Eve, and her, her lunk of a husband is standing right next to her, not defending her, right? And, and here's what happens. It says, it says, he comes up and he says, did God really say that? So he doesn't say God's a liar. He asks her a question to find out where she is in relation to the truth. He said, did God really say you, shut, you can't eat from that tree? And her answer is revelatory because here's what she says. She says, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. Did God say you're not supposed to touch it? Here's what Satan said. She's confused. And in her confusion, she wants to feel powerful and right, and so she's willing to add to the word of God. We don't ever do that, do we? As a church, as people, we don't add rules and regulations and say you have to do these six things in order to be right with God, do we? So here's what happened. What he saw was he saw her confusion. She had part of it right. You shall not eat or else you'll die. But she, he saw that he added that and said there's some confusion there. And I can use that not solid grounding as a way to get in. And here's what he did. There are three, there are three fundamental deceptions that Satan uses. Always uses them. They look different, but they always rhyme. Three fundamental things. One is who is God? The second is who am I? And the third is how does God see me? If I get one of those things wrong, who is God, who am I, or how does God see me, I, I'm open to Satan messing with my head. And so what he did here, because he saw that he said, who, he, he got God wrong, God is insufficient, because he didn't tell me everything, I have to add to it, so I'm more than who I think I am. And how does God see me? I'm not really sure. God said I'm not even supposed to touch it, or else he's going to kill me. And she didn't get, understand everything, so Satan says this, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He said, God is not who you think he is. God is holding out on you. God knows that, there's, that you're created for more. He's saying, you're not who you think you are. Or you're not who God said you are. God's not who he said he is. And God is holding out on you. He's got his hands behind his back. And, and, and you can't see everything that God has. And he's holding out on you. Go ahead and eat it, and we know the rest of the story, right? And here we sit today, people who are good by design but bad by nature, right? Our nature has, been, has, has fallen. Until we come to Christ, our nature has fallen and is bad, and, and that's, that's where we wind up being. So we need to understand the truth has real-world implications, and our alignment with truth has real-world implications. So let's talk about the first thing about truth exists and is knowable. So, yeah. So the, and the, the importance of this is that we find ourselves in a, in a place that may be unique to each of us. We, we might be observing this for the first time, but we are not the first culture right. to be experiencing this. We see it right there. From the very beginning, Adam and Eve experience a misalignment, a falling away from an understanding of what truth is. And we are reaping the consequences still to this day. Um, there's a, a very telling narrative in the New Testament where Pilate and Jesus are having a conversation. In John 18, verses 35 through 38, we, we get a little snippet of this conversation. So Pilate responds to Jesus, and he says, Am I a Jew? Pilate was, was not a Jew. He says, Your own nation and the chief priests, so the Jews, have delivered you, Jesus, 
to me. Pilate says, what have you done? So right there, Pilate wants to know the truth. He's asking a question. He's like, I want to know what you've done that your people deliver you to me who am not a part of the Jewish community. Jesus answers, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? Again, Pilate wants to hear, a, hear the truth. He wants an honest, truthful response to whether or not Jesus is a king. Jesus answers, You said rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And then Pilate, very tellingly, says, what is truth? And it's very critical. It, it can be easy to discern or to, to interpret what Pilate is saying as a complete dismissal that truth even exists. But we've seen twice before, Pilate wants an honest response. He wants to know the truth to two questions he previously posed to Jesus. Pilate knows, he presupposes the existence of truth. But Pilate does not know what truth is. He doesn't know the nature of truth. So he poses this question. Yet what he does next really um, stands out. Yeah. It, it's, you can tell that Pilate has chosen he doesn't want anything to do with the path, with the way. So then what Pilate does, when he had said that, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. So what Pilate was really saying, right, was that, was that truth exists but is unknowable. Yeah. And I don't need to understand what truth is. Truth exists but you can't know it. That is a false assumption because what he's really then saying is there might be something real, in reality but, but you, can't, you can't understand reality. And so we were talking about this. We're saying that the interesting thing is his, his, his response was not humility. Right. His response was try to exercise his own power. He was going to go try to steamroll the, uh, the, the, the Jews. That didn't work, by the way, right? They all rose up and they finally said, fine, you take him and crucify him, right? But, um, but his response was power. We will do the same thing. If we, don't, if we don't acknowledge that truth exists and we don't approach it with humility, then, then we'll do the same thing. We'll try, to, we'll try to force ourselves or force our way. We see this happening in the culture today, yeah. right? And we'll try to force our way, yep. um, our way, with, with our own power as opposed to uh, just aligning ourselves with yeah. the truth. Right? Well, and, and Ravi Zacharias sort of pulls this point out in a very succinct quote of his where he says, truth is often what is most desired, and we saw multiple times there, Pilate desires that Jesus respond truthfully. But truth is what is least appreciated. Pilate really didn't, appre- didn't have an appreciation for the, the profound nature of the question he asked concerning what is truth. When Pilate gets up after ask, you know, asking that question and he walks out, he chose the blue pill. Yeah. He's like, no, 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 I choose to exist in this, this what, what I think is reality as I have created, which before too long, as you just said, you know, he ran up against the truth that the Jews really didn't care about his authority. Right. And he, he eventually acquiesces to their demands because he's, he frankly has no real grounding, no place to stand. The amazing thing is he was sitting there in front of the truth, right? Yes. And he's going, what is truth? He's like, uh. There was no <laughs> individual like... to better suited to respond to that question yeah. than the one to whom he directed the question. Yeah. Um, another area, and this is a, an aspect of truth, which you, you, you know, we're talking about Pilate here. We find that Pilate reaped the opposite of this reward because... He, he lacked an alignment with truth. He chose to choose his own path. We see this in John eight thirty one through 32. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, to the degree to which we align ourselves with the truth, where we stay on the path, that is the degree to which we will be free. So it is, it is possible for us to be completely free 
totally free and existing in the fullness of life that God has designed for each of us. You know, vice versa, it is possible to the degree to which we misalign, or the degree we step off the path, that is the degree to which we will be enslaved and in bondage to what we, the, like the lies that we tell ourselves, the narrative for which we create, you know, the reality around us. We, will, we actually wind up being in bondage to that. The, a great example is, you know, the, the cop stories, you know, and the, the cops come and they arrest some guy and, they, you know, he's suspected of this crime and they ask about an alibi and the guy fabricates an alibi and before too long, through multiple um, sessions of being questioned, the guy's lie begins to unravel because he just can't keep the narrative straight in his mind, but he's well down the, the wrong path and, you know, um, seeking to try to keep things straight, but is constantly running into the, the, the truth. And you were saying that this morning, and, and I thought of something my mom used to say to me. I don't know why she said this to me, but she said this to me all the time. Uh, she would say, oh, what a tangled web we weave. When first we practice to deceive, right? And I think she just wanted me to know that. And um, I don't know why she would tell me that. But she would say that. That was one of her famous sayings. And the idea is that, is that when you're... When you're when you're trying to, to lie and you're trying to live a life of deception, you wind up tangled in your own web, right? And so one of the things that's interesting about this scripture that we're, ta- uh, that we're talking about is, is that you can actually use it as a barometer in your own life. So if you find yourself, if you find an area of your life where, where you're experiencing friction and, and, and problems and a lack of freedom and there's strongholds in your life and you're not getting anywhere, the, the, the idea might not be to just kind of power through or try harder. The idea might be to step back and go, where am I missing reality here? Where am I deluding myself? Where am I believing a lie? Where am I not aligned with the truth of God's word? And because if I get in line with that, he says, if you'll, if you'll, if you'll abide in my word and you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. So if there's not freedom, if there's friction instead, then there's a problem. That can be in our relationships with our, with our wives and kids and, and brothers and sisters. That can be in work. That can be in all kinds of stuff. That can be in our finances. All those things. We're probably missing something. And we need to then start to have what Caleb's going to talk about later is about an integrated worldview on this, right? Okay, so now we're going to talk about something that is um, going to hurt, and it's not going to hurt our pride, it's going to hurt right here on the front of our brains, and this is the concept of truth itself, right, and uh, how many of you guys know uh, John Gruden, he's a coach for the Oakland Raiders, used to be a commentator, you guys know this guy, you know that face, the face that John Gruden makes, that that's the face he makes, you ever watch, now you guys will all be watching Oakland Raiders game, because anytime something bad happens, it goes, like this, and they catch him, it's called the Gruden face. There was a bunch of times while we were trying to, <laughs> trying to figure out how to do this, how to, how to communicate this, and I'm like, hmm, I don't know how to do that, right? And so, so this is, I want you to think about this for a second, okay? In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, God is truth. This is pointing to God is truth, and to pursue him, we must pursue him with truth, and we must pursue truth and humility, Right or truth with humility. Right, he says. He says, "I am the way." Jesus says, "I am the way, the truth, and the life." Now, let me make sure we understand this. In Revelation nineteen verse eleven, he says, "It's talking about Jesus." It says, John sees this vision. He says, "I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he, Jesus, who sat on them, was called faithful and true." So his name is faithful and true. In Oriental culture, near Oriental culture, um, to have a person's name was to describe their character. So it is, a, it is much a name for Jesus as it is a description of who he is. And when you look at, and you found this, when, you, when we look at the underlying word for that, the best translation of that, he is called faithful and true, is... It's literally made of truth. It's what it means. It's what it means. Is that Jesus is made of truth. But that's not right. No. That's, that, that's really just our right. best understanding of it. Um, in reality... In reality, Jesus is the creator God, right? Jesus, Bible says in, in John 1, that through him all things were created. And without him, nothing was made that has been made. And so when we think, when we think of him creating things, we have these little picture books with animals and trees, and right? So we think that, God, that Jesus created stuff, right? He is the agent of created, and he created things. But it's, that's, he, he created those things, right. but he created so much more than that, like, 
the, even the notion of what was before when you know, God created is not correct because that implies that time is eternal and it's not. It's not. So before God created, there wasn't space, time, there wasn't dimension. There wasn't what we understand to be reality. The only reality but, uh, was but, God himself. <laughs> I'm starting to cramp, like right here, in my frontal lobe. If truth is the alignment with reality, and Jesus is the truth, then when Jesus created, he created reality. What we understand as reality was spoken to being by the word of God, which is Jesus Christ. So that means that Jesus isn't made of truth. Jesus makes truth. Yeah. Jesus is truth. Jesus is reality. Now, I'm not doing some kind of weird pantheism thing. That's not what no. I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is that if we pursue truth in any area of existence, we will run smack dab into Jesus Christ. And it, another way to think of that is that truth is made of Jesus. The, the two, when you, when you interact with Jesus, you're interacting with the truth. When you find a truth, discover truth, you have come Because when, when something is true, it's because our idea of what that is aligns with reality. So to the extent that my idea of something aligns with reality, it's true. To the extent that it doesn't, it's false. We get this in math. That's easy. We, it's a little bit harder when we're thinking about who we are and what we mean and all that kind of stuff like that, right? But all we need to understand is that if Jesus is not the source of truth, he is truth itself. And so everything that comes from him is true because he is the ultimate reality because he's the creator of it. Slow breath. Let us take a second to think about that. No, that, was, that, was, that was good. That, was really that good. hurt my head so much thinking about it. And really, we were sitting there thinking, and, 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 Ke- and Caleb's, we're trying to study this out, and Caleb's looking at me, and I'm going like this. And he's going, what's wrong? And my head hurts because I'm trying to, like, how does this work, right? So here's the thing. As we were studying this out, this is an interesting thing. As we were studying this, we're in this, in the, in this church office over there. And, and here's the thing. Is this hard? Yeah, it is. Is it humbling? The more I think about it, the smaller I feel. And if that's happening to you right now, good. Good. Because it helps us understand how great God is and how small we are, as opposed to us thinking that we could even add to the word of God like Eve, right? Maybe we should just trust him that it's true. It also helps us understand that truth is not, can never be. Because for me to say that I define my own truth would be for me to say that I define my own reality. We give those people hail doll, right? We give them counseling. We say those people are crazy because they've defined their own reality. We do not define our own reality because that would be saying I define something aside from Jesus and that would mean I'm equal to Jesus, which we aren't. We can be like him, but we can't be him, okay? And so here, truth is humbling and needs to be. Truth is external. Truth is not something that I can't define my own truth and have it be in contradiction to his own truth. Truth is external. It's discovered. For example, for how long has Mount Everest been the tallest mountain in the world? I know, it sounds like a stupid question. Forever. Forever. For, For as long as Mount Everest has been there, right? And everybody goes, uh, yeah, duh. Okay, but did you know that there was a time where we didn't know that Mount Everest was even there? And so we thought other mountains were the tallest mountain in the world? By the way, do you think Mount Everest was over there crying like, nobody knows about right? No, it wasn't. It was just like, well, you guys are dumb. You'll eventually find me, right? Um, I'm just going to sit here and be the tallest mountain in the world, right? Truth is discovered. It is not invented. That's exactly what I thought. We didn't know. And all of a sudden we found out and we measured it. Somebody went and measured it. They did math and measured Mount Everest and went, it's the tallest mountain. I don't care what anybody else says. That's the tallest mountain. We had to realign our, 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 our thought process and our books and our science books and everything. But like, no, no, there's another mountain out there. This is the, this is the tallest mountain in the world, right? So truth is discovered, so it's external. It's not something that we create. The we other to, thing is, yeah, is we have to understand that that concept, like, you're like, oh, yeah, measuring the height of a mountain, that's a scientific truth. Well, we have to understand, you know, what is our nature 
as a human being. I might not think I am made in the image of God, but it doesn't change the fact that I am. I'm made in the it, image of God. I don't have to know that I'm made in the image of God to be made in the image of God. I simply am by very nature of being a human being. Now, the extraordinary thing is when I understand I'm made in the image of God, it's transformational to my life. When we understand Mount Everest is the tallest mountain, we can begin to, that, that becomes a benchmark for certain things. Right. But, but when I understand that I'm made in the image of God, and that's the truth, I become, in essence, more real. Yeah. I become aligned as a person more with reality. And that's because we have now limited the area where Satan can deceive us in one of those three areas. We understand who we are. We have an understanding of who I am. The reason why this is so important is because if we get that wrong, if we think that I can make my own truth, then other people can make their own truth, and then I can't, I can't judge between what is right or wrong. And so, and so here's the thing. Truth is humbling. Truth is external. The best thing is, is that truth, because truth is Jesus, truth is relational. Yeah. Truth is a person who loved me. Truth is inexorably tied to the idea of love. Truth is a person who loved me, is someone who loved me and came and died in my place to take my sins. So therefore, I can know truth, even if I don't have the big giant brain and I don't know all the facts and figures, all I need to know is Jesus. Truth isn't something that exists like out here and we can never grab a hold of it. We can't. It, it, we, it's not something that's not concrete. It's truth flesh is, and blood truth is a can come alongside truth us. Is a, it's truth, a who. truth is Jesus. And when you said truth is Jesus, but that's why truth is Jesus. Now, here's the important thing about this. And, and as we think about the idea of, of helping equip ourselves and our church and our, and our children and all that kind of stuff like that is, that, is that, is that we need to have a starting point, right? And so when we talk about apologetics and we talk about the idea of knowing why, what you believe and why you believe it and your ability to defend it, we need to start with the idea that I might not know with 100% certainty, I might not know that Noah built a boat that was big enough to hold two of every creature on the, on the face of the earth, two of every kind of creature on the face of the earth. I might not know, I might not, me with my limited capacity, might not know the science behind whether or not the earth was created in six literal 24-hour days. But I know the one who was there. And if I know Jesus, and I know that he rose from the dead, and I know that, that that's a historically provable fact, and I know that he's living in my life, and he's changed me because I, because I received him as my Lord and Savior, and he's changed me, he was there with Noah. He, he was there at the creation. And I go, I might not know everything, but I know him, and I trust him, and I got it. And we can start from there, and everything else is things that we add. Good? Okay. All right. So, um, so truth is... Truth is relational and external, and that means that it, I have a, a dependent certainty. I can be certain because I know the one who is truth. And so I can be dependent on him for my certainty because I don't, might not know all the facts and figures. But James chapter 1 then says this, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we may be able to be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So he says, at truth, every good gift, even the ability to understand what is real and what is false, that gift comes from God. So truth and the knowability of truth is a gift from God. It is revealed. Real truth must be revealed to us because we're inside of it, right? So it is revealed to us, and therefore it is revealed to us by a person, and that's God himself, right? And it says that he is the father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. Basically what that means is he doesn't care who you are. He doesn't care what your IQ is. He doesn't care what the color of your skin is. He didn't care your socioeconomic status. He didn't care any of that stuff. Or if you lack hair like the yeah, two of us. Yeah, that's a really good thing that I... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He does that we lack hair. Yeah. And so he doesn't care about any of that stuff, right? What he cares about, what he cares about is do you want to know the truth? Because if you want to know the truth, that means you want to know Jesus. So it is revealed. And the last thing is, is that when we talk about it being relational, here's the, here's the cool thing. He says, in John chapter 16, this is Jesus speaking. He says, however, when he talking about the Holy Spirit. The spirit of truth has come. He will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you 
the things to come. Here's the best, here's the best, I, always, I make the joke all the time that I think that, I think the, the image of the Holy Spirit is the, is the face palm emoji. Like I think this is, this is the Holy Spirit, right? But in reality, that's not, I, that's for me. But in reality, uh, let's stand over here. Let's say that, that he's on the path, but we're gonna walk this way so you can see it. So, so the actual, the, the best visual representation of the Holy Spirit, so if you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit is inside, is inside you and the Holy Spirit is in your life. And the best visual representation of the word for the Holy Spirit, Paracletos, is, is, is a parallel that he comes, it's the one who comes beside and helps us. This, if this is, if this is Caleb walking, trying to walk the path, he says the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of truth, will come beside you Put his hand on you and walk with you. This, is, this, this means the truth is relational. And so our understanding and our connection to truth isn't about a connection to, 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 to facts and figures in a book, but it's not a thing, it's a who. And the more, the more we have a great relationship with the Holy Spirit, he can go like this and he can go, this is good, this is good. Let's stop for a second and talk about this area of your life and what's happening here. And let's align that with truth and let's move forward. Right? Does that... And notice what happens in this. Where does Pastor Joe have to be if he is alongside right. I don't come me. over here and go, hey, stupid, get over here. Right. The, the Holy Spirit comes and does this. He gets down into the muck and the mire of our life. We, we know Jesus came as a person, so he's experienced the temptation. We were told that story of how that went. So there's not a thing that we have experienced in our personal lives that he hasn't experienced as well. He comes and he gets down into the muck and the mire of our life, and he says, I'm willing to get here, I'm willing to stand here right beside you, but look, this is the path. I have something more for you. He is discontent to see us remain in that place. And says, let me come along, let me give you strength, and let me show you a better way. So God God is perfectly happy to come and meet us at our point of need, right where we're at right now. But he wants to move us forward because he wants us to experience reality and truth because that means we're living uh, more and more with Jesus. So, um, so we, being the geeks, geeks that we are, that we, are um, we did something <laughs> about this. We, um, uh, we, uh, we analyzed your kids, and um, we, we quizzed your kids. You might not have known this, but we did it anyways, and uh, we surveyed your kids. There's a national survey yep. uh, that we did, the State of... State of theology. State of theology nationally, where they actually they did a, ran a survey. They asked thirty four different questions. You know how they do the thing where they ask a question, they ask in the other question, kind of similar way, and they kind of tease this out. And you'll they, see how they yeah. There's all kinds of bit. like we have we have PowerPoint slides, and um, and so there's all these things. There's all this data underneath it and whatnot. And so what we did was we then gave it to uh, the kids in the youth group. Yep. And then we compared how are we doing. We used this to try to inform, like, what are the things, areas that we need to be teaching uh, in, in the youth group. But the we, idea is to understand where are we. Like, we clearly know there's the path. And we clearly know the path is leading to deeper and deeper relationship with Christ. But where are we on the path? Yeah, you have to start with the truth, right? Yep. You have to start with the truth. If I want to lose weight, I have to, I have to, I have to stand on the scale. Right. As much as I don't want to do that, I have to stand on the scale. I have, by the way, I have at home uh, what I, oh, we've talked about. I have the cruel scale. <laughs> the cruel. The cruel scale. scale. Uh, you take off your socks and shoes and everything. And you oh, stand yes. on the scale, yes. and it runs electrical impedance, and it not just tells you how much do you weigh, it tells you how fat you are. And I'm like, oh, this is awful. But you know, but you have to know, right? You have to know. It tells you your body fat percentage as you stand on it. You have to know this, right? If you're really going to do that, if you're really going to go, you know what, Val, that was really a bad, it was, felt like a great decision at the time to eat the entire pizza. But it really wasn't a good decision, right, if I'm going to take care of myself and be there for my family and everything. So I have to be able to stand on the scale and go, okay, where am I? So this is what we did with the kids. So, um, so Caleb's got some slides that we're going to share with so, you. So, yeah, first slide we have here. Is looking at the statement, so this is, you'll see the national responses are there in green, and then the FLC youth are shown in blue. So we're looking at is that the statement, everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. Now, where, like, where does biblical theology fall on that? Is biblical theology falling under the, oh yeah, I strongly agree with that. Most people are good, they just sin a little. Or does biblical theology fall over the, I completely disagree with that statement, that we aren't mostly good and we only sin a little? So what's the answer? What do you guys think? Strongly disagree. That's Theologically, that's the correct answer. We are good by nature, by, 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 by design, but our nature is fallen. So 
you, you know, the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things and who can know it, right? That kind of thing, right? So, so until we become Christians and our nature is changed, by nature, man is not good, right? So, good answer for the, for yeah, the FOC youth, right? It looks like we're like, <laughs> woohoo! Okay, good, we're getting something right. Generally, the trend is going right. Yeah, right? okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, slide number two. Closely aligned with the previous statement, but now we're looking at even the smallest sin deserves eternal damnation. Now, where, where, where's the Bible side on this? Does the Bible on this strongly agree with that, or does the Bible strongly disagree? Ah. We have mixed responses there. Okay. For a Deserve. few other people, it's the damnation. Yeah, da- like, eternal what? damnation feels bad, doesn't it? But it's supposed to feel bad. That's why Jesus came to save us. Because how many sins does it take to get us wrong with God? Even the smallest one. And what is the end result? All of sin and fall short of the God, and the wages of sin is eternal damnation. And so we do deserve eternal damnation. And it sounds bad, but it's... There's, it sounds bad because we lack a proper understanding of what holiness is. That God is holy, which means set apart. And that we, you know, even the smallest indiscretion results in a severing of our relationship with him. So, we look at this. What's this tell us about the, the FLC youth? Yeah. Generally, we they might generally have a little bit work to do, but generally... Trend line D- is in the decidedly, right. they have a decidedly better understanding of the wages of sin versus the national audience. Mm-hmm. All right. The next slide, let's put that up there. So this is looking at the statement, Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. Now, again, same question. Where's biblical theology fall on this? Is that the strongly agree or the strongly disagree? Okay. Anybody else? Was Jesus created by God? Jesus was not created. Jesus is the creator. So so you got to read the statement. That's why they asked it a bunch of different times, right? Mm -hmm. We're just using some representations. But you got to read the statement. Jesus was not created by God. Relationally, he's the son of God. Positionally in the Trinity, he's the son of God. But he's not the son of God like Caleb has a son, right? It's not that kind of a thing. Um, But he is, so he's not created. So actually, if any part of a statement is false, whole thing's false, right? It should be this. Notice this is what Satan did to Eve. He very subtly twisted something. But... That, that ushers in confusion. You can see the number of uncertain yeah, responses, not sure, by the FLC youth. Now, this, isn't, this is like Pastor Joe said with, with Eve. This isn't a bad thing. It just indicates we have confusion, and there's an opportunity here to direct the youth back on to the path. To yeah, this very slide we took them and used, right and used as a basis of a teaching on the deity of Christ to make sure we got this right. You know, so that, we're doing this to help inform us, but that's, that's not cool that you got a whole bunch of not sure. Right. And what this does, this is that question, you know, the, the third area, Satan comes and deceives us on the nature of yeah. God. You know, how, how do I see God? Who, who is God? Well, if we think God or one member of the Trinity is created. By another member of the Trinity. That's the whole Jehovah's Witness. Right, you kind of go, huh? Right? Yeah, you get Jehovah Witness theology. That's Jehovah Witnesses. That's a cult. They believe that Jesus was created, and therefore he's not God. They take away his deity, and that's how you get Jehovah Witnesses. And we're yeah. not that, right? No. So, right, right? We're, we're Christians, and so we're kind of like, huh, okay, we need to work on that, right? Yep. So here's the... So the, the next two sets of slides go together. So here we're looking at, you know, that God is uh, a, a single being in three persons. Now, so the next two slides solely look at FLC youth responses. Right. So we nailed the Trinity. Absolutely nailed this. There's no reason. No, that, that's zero under strongly disagree, somewhat disagree, not sure. Zero under that. Everyone answered either somewhat agree or strongly agree. But there's not a doubt in the, the, the youth that took the survey that God is Trinitarian. 
Right. There are three members, cool. three people to, the, but, to, the, to God. But if we put up the next one and we contrast this with what we just saw, that Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God, now we have confusion. How can you do that? How can you, how can you on the one hand, say that you believe that, that Jesus is part of the Trinity and you believe in the Trinity, and on the other hand, say that he was, he was, he was a created being by God? It just, it just shows that there's confusion. And again, this isn't like, oh my goodness, we're failing. This is, holy cow, we need to get this right while there's still time. Make sure we know what we believe and why we believe it and be able to defend it in a way because what's going to happen is we're going to get, our kids are going to get into college and someone's going to go, wham, right? And so this, we need to kind of, here's an area we need to shore up, right? And so we did this and, and we did this for a reason to help us understand where things are. We have to, so this is highlighting the third category, the third point that we're making, which is truth and its consequences. The alignment with truth and the subsequent consequences or the turning away, the misalignment of truth and the consequences that ensue. And there are real genuine consequences. Caleb's going to read uh, Isaiah 59 now. Uh, well, Caleb's going to ultimately get to Isaiah 59. And when we do that, I want you to think about the current state of our culture. If you read, the, read or watch the news or anything like that, it's the current state of our culture. So. And remember, like we said earlier, we, we're, what we are experiencing today is not something new. It's new to us, but it is not something new to cultures you know, since millennia right. ago. I mean, we, we read about it all the way back to Adam and Eve. Um, one of the things right before I read Isaiah here is we have to understand when we grasp truth, when we are aligning our lives with truth, in 2 Corinthians, it um, talks about the ability for us to prevent the devil from taking advantage of us, and we, be, we are no longer ignorant of his devices. We aren't, we aren't ignorant of the mind games that Satan seeks to play. We see the mind game he played with Eve to stunning success. So that's a critical thing. And those mind games are, again, around, we've already put it out there, but who is God, who am I, and how does God see me? We have to have those right. Otherwise, we will reap the quite drastic consequences. We see the consequences being reaped around the concept of who am I, People now think that they can define who they are. Yeah. It, you just can't. You, you eventually... Yeah, the whole gender is a social construct, whatever, right? Yeah, somehow I can divorce the idea of my gender from, from, my, from my sexual identity, um, my biological identity. Like, I can define my own. That doesn't, that's, not, that's not how this works. Right. <laughs> that's not how any, that just doesn't work like that. And yet we're convincing ourselves that this is true as a culture. Again, it's not new. Caleb's going to read a scripture to you that was written by the prophet Isaiah, which makes it about 2,500, 2,600 years ago, something like that, right? So this is not a new thing. Right, so listen to this. This is in Isaiah 59, 14 through 15. Justice is turned back, and righteousness stands afar off. For truth is fallen in the street, and equity cannot enter. So truth fails, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Then the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. I think the key line in that passage of Scripture to, to sort of pull out and digest a little bit is the he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. We've talked about mm-hmm. the idea of if we experience friction in our lives, we're talking about the path. There are signposts along the path that will inform us if we have stepped off the path. One of those is if we begin to be attacked for stances that we hold that are counter to the culture, the culture doesn't like that. We go all the way back to Ravi Zacharias. Truth is one of the things that is least appreciated, often the most desired, but least appreciated. The reason for that is it, we, we slam up against something and we don't like so when what we it tells see, us. So when we see... In our culture, and, and, and if you're informed about our culture today, when you see people standing up for truth and then they're getting attacked, this whole cancel culture thing, I want to deplatform you, I want to, I want to demonetize your YouTube videos, I want to take PragerU off the, off, the, off the internet, I want to take Chick-fil-A and get them out of here just because they said that, that, that marriage is between a man and a woman. When we start seeing that, we start seeing, and then we see other people, um, we see other people self 
censor because they don't want to poke their head up because they're afraid if they poke their head up and say, no, that, I agree with them, they're going to get it chopped off, right? When we start to see that, that it, says, that it says that he who departs from evil makes himself a prey, then we can understand the corollary to that is that is an indication that truth has failed. And, 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 he says, and he says, he says, he says there's no, it displeased the Lord that there was no justice. We cannot have real, not that fake, that fake power trip social justice. We can't have real social justice. We can't have real social justice apart from people being able to stand up and, and talk about the truth. And we can't have that apart from, apart from truth winning. Love doesn't win. Truth has to win. Truth has to win. And so, so there will be no social justice. There will be no genuine justice. And, there will be, and, and, and there will, people will continually see themselves made prey. When we see that happens, it's an indicator that as a culture, truth has failed in our culture. Not that truth fails. Right. Because like, like, like Mount Everest didn't go, well, I guess I'll go away now. Right? Like, right you know, just because you don't believe me. Right? Truth doesn't fail, but we run counter we to it. We have failed to comprehend truth. Right. Right, and then we suffer the consequences as individuals, but we suffer the consequences as a culture. And this needs to be turned around, and it needs to be turned around quickly. We're going to give you two more scriptures, and then we'll, and then we'll close. We're going to tell you what we're going to do about this, and then we'll close. So we talked about an integrated worldview. We're just going to run through this. I want to use this as an illustration to help us understand. When we talk about an integrated worldview, Caleb talked about it. Am I the same person on Monday and Tuesday? Am I the same person at work and in traffic and signing up for a loan or whatever, you know, finances and the way I raise my children? Is that all aligned with truth? Ephesians chapter 4 says this. In verse 11, it says, He himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Not that these pastors and teachers would do the work of the ministry, but pastors and teachers and prophets and apostles and evangelists equip us so that we can do the work of the ministry. It is our job to do the work of the ministry. Because when that happens, what happens? It says, for the edifying or the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all come to a unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, that means spiritual maturity, to a measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But contrary to that, if we grow up and we're mature and we understand this, we can, speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things, what? into him who is the head, that is Christ. We can become aligned with Jesus Christ who is the truth. So it is not enough for me if, if Caleb is, is off or I'm off. It's not enough for me to speak the truth to Caleb if I don't speak it in love. That means I'm trying, that means I'm trying to exercise power over him. Likewise, it's not enough for Caleb to speak love to me without the truth and say, oh, I love you, it's okay, you can be just the way you are. The Bible is very, very strong on that one, the whole... It's better that you have a millstone tied around your neck and are thrown into the sea. Than that you say, it's bad. fine for you to be who you are and to define your own reality. Right. We have to bring truth into it, but we have to do it in a loving way. So here's the important thing. Jesus Christ is truth, but God is love, right? And so spiritual maturity is when I can exercise the truth and do it in a loving way and help people understand I don't have truth because I'm special. I have truth because it was revealed to me and I discovered it and, and it became real to me, and now I, I want to get down there with you in the muck and mire and show you how to get back on the path. Well, and, and even deeper still, you have truth because you have a relationship with the one who is truth. Who is truth. That, that's where the fullest understanding of truth comes from. Like we said, Francis Crick understood the truth of the DNA. But didn't want to know right. the implications. But didn't want, yeah, didn't want to follow the, the, you know, that path to the one who is truth, who created the DNA. So the idea of taking, of, taking, of taking the truth of God's word and who he is and our relationship with God and systematically applying it to every area of our life to come to a place where we know what we believe, we know why we believe it, and we're able to, to defend our position, that should result in people who are loving and caring and Christ-like. That, that's what we're looking for. And when we don't see that, it's because you back up and say somehow we're missing a relationship to the truth. So this all sounds very heady and esoteric and ethereal and whatever cool $5 word you want to talk about it. But unless we do something about it, um, then, then this is all we have, right? So, so here's what we're doing. Um, and just stick with us for five minutes and we'll talk about this and we'll read one more scripture and we'll be good. Um, 
we've had, we've done, uh, the, the, uh, the Vicheses, um, Ben and Dan, Daniel Vicheses, um, have done uh, life groups for the teenagers in the past. And uh, Caleb and Pastor Ron and I were talking, and he thought, again, he thought it was so important they wanted to take this weekend and talk about it. He said, we need to do something about it. And Caleb has had an idea of it's not enough to teach apologetics, right? It's not enough to teach people what they believe and why they believe it. We have to be able to create a system for it. And so, um, and so here, I'm going to hold up my, these books like Vanna White, and you're going to tell us what we're going to do here. Okay? And so this, this is coming to the, the idea of the father that Pastor, I was talking with Pastor Joe last night, who was like, I understand it's my personal responsibility as a father to instruct my children in the, the Christian walk. So... We're going to have a guys, a teen guys life group, and a teen girls life group. They're going to be studying, going through an eight-week course based on the evidence that demands a verdict. Some of you may be aware of Josh Great McDowell. Book. Great book. It will Phenomenal. hurt your brain. Oh, so we have yeah. a nice six-week right. version this is, of it. This is the nice, succinct. We're going to go through this one. They were nice <laughs> enough to... Put the cookies on the bottom <laughs> shelf for us. If you want to, if you want to get a brain cramp, read this one. Fine, yep, great, that's yep. uh, great. But but this this cookies on the bottom shelf, right? We want right. So they took it and broke it down into into like six weeks yep. of what is, is truth knowable. Uh, what about Jesus? Can is the Bible reliable? Some things like that, right? It's the resurrection. I think the resurrection. Yeah, the resurrection's in there. In there. Right? Can we trust yeah. that? Right? Yeah. So so then the kicker to this is simultaneous to. The, the teen guys and the teen girls in their life groups studying this curriculum will be doing the same thing with the parents. The idea there is, like we said, Pastor Joe and I have a couple hours with your kids a week. You know, if your kids come in here and they hear a message from Pastor Ron, okay, that's another hour and a half, right? But you, as parents, interact with your kids multiple hours throughout the day. We have to understand, we, we heard it, in some, some of the scriptures we were reading there, that it is, it's not our role to, it, we, it's not part of the ministry that we speak to you. We are here to equip you to go and be the ministry in your respective workplaces. One of those, probably the primary as parents, yeah. is our home, yeah. our family. And so simultaneously to this, the parents will be going through this curriculum as well. So Caleb and his wife, Kaylin, so while Ben and, uh, and Danny Vitus are going to lead this, and we'll have the, the staff who, who, did the, who did the small groups for the teenagers, um, Caleb and Kaylin are going to run a simultaneous group for parents of teenagers. So if you don't have a, uh, if you don't have a kid, just, just grab a kid. <laughs> Throw them in, take someone off the street, whatever, right? Um, so if you, if, you don't have, if, you don't have, if you're not related to this at all, strongly, strongly re- suggest you get this book, go through it slowly, whatever, ask questions, some things like this. is really good stuff. Uh, you can get this, the six-week study guide thing, right, uh, to, to maybe start. These are good places to start. Yep. Um, these are good if you're a parent of a teen or you know someone who's a parent of a teen. This is really important. And, and, and we, trust, uh, we trust Caleb and his wife, Kaylin. They're going to go through this. So it'll be a simultaneous thing so that when the kids are going through it, the parents are going through it, and then you have something to talk about during the week. We don't have the details worked out, but next Meaning week we're hoping to... Right, the dates. It will be starting in early December. We understand we have the holidays in there, so it will likely bleed itself into the month of February. But uh, the goal is in the next few weeks we'll have you know, an announcement and the ability to sign up for... For that, because um, this is super important. Because if you're a parent of teen, I've got teenage uh, teenagers uh, who are. It feels like you're running out of runway, right? You're like, mm, are they going to be able to take off? Is it going to work? You know that kind of thing. And it feels like you're running out of runway. We need to make sure that this happens for our kids, so that when they go to college, they're able to stand up on their own. Um, I, all of my kids will tell you who've been through college that all I did was create rebels. Right? They're like, I know what you're going to say, and I can do this. Right? So we, we sit around and we talk about this stuff all the time. We as parents need to be able to do that. Okay? So here's the last thing, and then we'll close. Okay? If we will do this, if we will personally recognize the truth of the gospel, meaning the truth of Jesus, and he is truth, if we will do that, if we will raise our family, if we will talk with our friends, if we will be this thing, then there is a great opportunity. We do not need to be so distressed about, the, about where the culture is headed because here's what's going to happen. Well, and this, this is what happens if we, again, the, our four points. If we know that truth exists and it's knowable, mm-hmm. if we understand who the truth, the truth is. is and we understand consequences fall out from that, 
and we integrate that into a worldview. World Here's what happens. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, it says, Therefore, he, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who has built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. And I want to tell you something. In our country, I pray for our country. I pray for our leadership. I pray for our country all the time. But I'm telling you, if we, we have become unhooked from truth, and if we continue to be unhooked from truth, there are consequences that are coming to our country because God loves the people of America and he wants to get our attention. And if he can't get our attention with love, he will get our attention in my affliction. I sought the Lord. Bad things are going to happen. And when people are finding hopelessness and helplessness and, and disjointed lives and broken relationships and all that stuff that's happening, they are going to look for a lighthouse. And we get to be that. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain descended, and the floods came, then the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. It didn't fall not because it was special. It didn't fall because it was founded on the rock. And if we'll found our lives on the rock-solid truth of who Jesus Christ is, and if we'll do that with our family, if we'll work these things that Caleb and I were talking about, and we'll do this piece by piece, I understand it takes time, we'll do this piece by piece, when the rains come and the, and the, and the storms of life come, people will look and say, how are you not falling? I want to know your foundation, and the foundation is the foundation of truth. Let's pray. So, Father... A lot of stuff here. I'm just asking, Father, that you would open up our hearts to hear from you. That you would show us in your mercy where and when we are not in line with truth. Where we have departed from the path and we have gone our own way where we've listened to a lie. And turn the lights on in our life to help us see that place. And then in your mercy and in your grace and by your Holy Spirit, bring us back to the truth. Lord, give us the, the desire and the ability to live according to your reality, to live in close harmony with your son, Jesus Christ, to live listening to the voice of your Holy Spirit. I ask, Lord God, that you would do that and that you would bless us indeed. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>